Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. start off with a question. Uh, how many of you remember building your very first resume? Very first resume? Yeah, maybe it was um, right out of college or maybe just getting ready to go in the workforce. Uh, maybe some of you built yours when you were in high school because you're an overachiever. So congrats to you. That's awesome. We're all impressed. Okay, for me, it was, it was right, out of, right out of college. In fact, I brought it with me today. This is, uh, this is my very, uh-oh, I just messed up the lock. Okay, there we go. This is my very first resume, and it's on cardstock, so you know it's official, okay? This is, this is it. Now, uh, this was when I was in college, so I didn't really have that much work experience. So under work history, I put like the camps that I worked at over the summer, uh, but I wanted to impress the people looking at it. So there's a skills section. So I filled that bad boy all the way to the top, okay? Because I wanted you to know that I've got skills. Um, so two of, the, two of the skills I put on here was uh, interpersonal communication and intrapersonal communication. Because I can talk to anybody, okay? So I put it as my skills. And I'll never forget the first guy that called me about my resume. And he said, um, he said Steve, do you know what intrapersonal communication is? Yeah, it means you're really good at talking to yourself. And I was like, well, I just thought it sounded good, you know? It's like, that's how I put it on there, right? Because, come on, I mean, when we build a resume, we put stuff on here that sounds really good because, because this is our first impression, this is our approach, this is our foot in the door, right? It's like whenever we're going to get ready to meet with our new employer or a new opportunity or a new job, we want to make sure we look and sound really good. And so we fill this up with some stuff that may or may not be true, some words that you might not know what they actually mean because we want to look good, we want to make sure our approach is the best that it can be, because we all know this, come on. Approach matters, right? Approach matters, and so when it's a new job or a new opportunity, your resume matters, because the better the resume, the better the approach, and the better chance you have of actually getting the job. So a resume is a really good approach, uh, but it's not the only approach, right? It's like, depending on the circumstance that you're in, a resume is not appropriate. Like, can... Um, like, you don't bring a resume to a first date, right? That would be weird. And by the way, if you've ever done that, don't raise your hand. Just never do that again, okay? That's weird. You don't bring a resume to a first date. You don't bring a resume when you're getting rushed to the hospital, you know? Like, hey, before you do surgery, I need you to know my skills, you know? It's like, that doesn't matter. That's not the right approach because your approach changes based on the circumstance that you're in. Around the time that I was building this resume, I was also making other plans for the future, uh, that involve Catherine. And um, so Catherine and I had been dating for about nine months, and one day I called up her dad, and I said, um, Mr. Bridges, I would like to have lunch with you and your wife. And he said, that sounds great. We would love to hang out with you and Catherine. I was like, well, I was more thinking just the two of y'all and, <laughs> and me, kind of by myself. And I'm sure at this point he knew exactly what was, what was about to happen. So, so we met up for lunch, and we, uh, we went to Macaroni Grill. I had the pasta Milano. I was wearing my khaki pants and a button-up shirt, and I was so nervous. 
so we made a little bit of small talk, and then I told him just how much Catherine means to me and, and that I wanted to, to marry her, and I showed him the ring, and then I asked for his permission. Um, and somehow he said yes. Yeah, and uh, the reason I say somehow he said yes is because I was 21, unemployed, and Catherine was 19. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, like at the time, I thought it was totally normal. Now as a dad, I'm like, how did he say yes to me? Right? I was young, inexperienced, unemployed, and the only marketable skill I had was intrapersonal communication, you know? <laughs> it's like how on earth did he say yes? Because the approach is a funny thing. See, approach changes based on what the person is looking for. Like what you're potential uh, boss is looking for is very different than what your potential father-in-law is looking for because it changes based on what that person's actually looking for. So here's a question. What kind of person is God looking for? In other words, how can I approach God? Like not my father-in-law, but my father in heaven, the God of the universe and maybe for some of you, you're kind of new to the whole faith thing, and it's been a long time since you've been to church, and you've got a more basic question. You're like, can I even approach God? Like, is God even approachable? You know, does he even want to talk to me? Maybe some of you, you walked into a campus, or you walked into 12 Stone Home, and you're looking around, and you're like, I'm surprised the place didn't burn down when I walked in. Like, if you knew my past, if you knew, knew what I've done, then you would know that for me, God is unapproachable. Or maybe some of you are on the other end of the spectrum, and you've been a Christian for a long time. So this question, how can I approach God, feels really basic. It's like, uh, been there, done that, been doing that for decades. I got the system. I got the formula. In fact, you could even say, I, I got the spiritual resume, right? I know what to do. I mean, come on. It's pretty basic, right? Obey God. That's what you got to do. Um, stop sinning. That's what, or, you know, you can't stop all the sin, but stop the big sins. You know what I mean? The ones that everyone else sees. Okay, stop sinning. You need to, like, go to church every week. That's one way to do it. Or, you know, you need to, you need to serve. You need to give. You need to read your Bible. You need to pray. Like, this is what you do. And once you do these things for a while, once you kind of clean up the messiness of your life, then you're able to approach God. And then guess what? You're going to have a great-looking spiritual resume. And that's your approach to God. Can I be honest for a second? <laughs> this is my go-to approach to God. Because I've been a Christian for 25 years. And so my spiritual resume looks really good. But is this the way to approach God? Or let me ask it a different way. How does God want us to approach God? Because maybe you're like me, and you've got a great-looking spiritual resume. You've been following Jesus for a long time. But I bet if we were to sit down for lunch, and we'd be honest, like no cameras, no one else listening in, and we were to slide our spiritual resume across the table to each other, in a moment of honesty, one of us might say something like, you know, sometimes, sometimes my faith feels stale. My faith feels dry. It feels lifeless. And I wonder if it has less to do with our approach, less to do with our faith, and maybe actually more to do with our approach. So 
how can I, how can we approach God? How does God want us to approach God? And so to answer this question, I actually want to look at a really famous story. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've probably heard this story. Maybe even if you haven't been around church, you you might remember this story from when you were a kid. It's a famous story. In fact, it's a purposefully famous story. This is the only time in scripture where Jesus says, write this down. Like, I want to make sure you remember this moment. There's this moment that happens, and as soon as it's done, Jesus said, whenever you talk about me, I want you to talk about what happened here in this room today, okay? So John, you paying attention? Write it down. Matthew, okay, write it down. Peter, talk to Mark about it. He'll write it down, okay? It's like, you want to make sure you get this story. And so I want us to look at this story and see how two very different people with two very different approaches actually approached Jesus. So here's how this story is recorded in the Jesus Storybook Bible. It says, one night, Jesus went to dinner at an important leader's house, and the important leader invited his important friends. They were all just sitting down to eat when a woman walked in. She was not invited, but everyone knew who she was. Who does she think she is? The guest whispered. How dare she? See, the woman was a big sinner, and everyone knew it. It it was easy to see. After all, she had broken the rules and done bad things. But the woman walked straight up to Jesus. She was carrying a very expensive perfume. Okay, so here's the scene. You've got two people. You've got the host and the uninvited guest. And the host is the really important person, and he's so important, he actually has a name. His name is Simon. And Simon, if Simon had a spiritual resume, it would look awesome, okay? Because he had been following God for a long time. In fact, at the top of his resume, it would have been the word Pharisee. Now, I know when you and I hear the word Pharisee, we immediately think, ah, bad guy, you know? But I'm telling you, 2,000 years ago, when they heard the word Pharisee, they thought the exact opposite. They thought, good guy. See, Pharisee was not a badge of shame. Pharisee was a badge of honor. These were the really holy people. These were the really righteous people. Like these were the people that on their resume would have said, goes to church every Sunday, Uh, volunteers at church, gives to the church, is a pillar in the community. They pray every day. They read the Bible. Oh, and speaking of prayer, listen, if you ever heard them pray, it is beautiful. Beautiful. I mean, it sounds like they're quoting poems when they pray. Like, these are the kind of people that you wanted to be around. In fact, if you had like a sick friend or a sick neighbor or maybe a sick family member, you'd go up to a Pharisee and you go, can you pray for my aunt because she's sick and you've got the spiritual resume. God's going to listen to you. Like, maybe a better word instead of Pharisee, a more modern day equivalent for us is small group leader, spiritual leader, Spiritual mentor, guru, pastor. That's who Simon was. And he had an incredible resume. In fact, he had such a great resume that he invited Jesus to come to his house. And Jesus said yes. Like, what kind of pull do you have to have to get the Son of God to show up to your house? Well, clearly, he had some sort of pull because Jesus actually said yes. And this is one guy and one approach to God. And then you've got the uninvited guest. And she, um, she actually doesn't even have a name. Luke doesn't record her name. But she does have a reputation. 
and it's not good. What's funny is her reputation was more famous than her name. Everyone knew what she had done, and it was not good. And if she had a spiritual resume, you would not want to see it. She, she didn't go to church. She didn't pray. She didn't do the things that she was supposed to. She was not a pillar in the community. In fact, if you had listed the things that she had done on her resume, it would not be good. And so she comes in unannounced, uninvited, with an expensive jar of perfume. So you've got Simon on the one hand with a really great looking resume and this uninvited guest on the other with a horrible looking resume. He had kept all the rules. She had not. He had a rich religious history and she had perfume. And they both show up. And when they show up together, there's this awkward moment that happened. And so to, to really get the awkwardness, I need you to imagine with me, you got to imagine 2,000 years ago that you're there, and imagine that you're Simon, which for me, that's a pretty easy thing to do. But just imagine that you're Simon. You've got a great spiritual resume, and you invited Jesus. Jesus said, yes, he's getting ready to come over. You've swept the house. you got the tapas ready, you know, and he's getting ready to come over to your house. And then he comes over, and you start making small talk with Jesus. And you're like, hey, Jesus, good to see you. Um, listen, I heard about, um, uh, what do they call it? Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, I think was the name of it. That thing has gone viral, buddy. A lot of people talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Pretty good stuff. Now, listen, um, there's parts of it that are kind of confusing, okay? So I thought maybe we could workshop it a little bit because you said, like, bless are the poor in spirit. No one knows what that means, Jesus. So we should work on it, and I think we could actually make it better, and when we make it better, I think this could be the kind of sermon that people talk about for a long time, Jesus, okay? Speaking of which, um, you've got this reputation. People say you're performing miracles, and I don't know what I think about miracles. I kind of think, like, I, I just kind of guess they're magic tricks or something. I don't know. But listen, I got some water in the back. Let's say we turn that to a nice cap salve. Jesus, come on. We can do it right now, right? And you're making small talk, and it's good when all of a sudden, in the middle of this moment, a woman walks in and starts sobbing. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're not expecting someone to cry, and then they start crying, but it is so awkward. And she's there, and she's Sobbing, And not only sobbing, she takes this perfume and she breaks it wide open. And now the smell of this perfume, it is overwhelming. It's like a, it's like a 12-year-old with Axe body spray overwhelming. Like, it is crazy. This, I'm telling you, it was awkward when this happened. This is, this is what Luke says. Luke says, she stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And if you're Simon, you're looking at this moment and you're like, what is going on here? Hey, I'm the one that invited Jesus to the house. I'm the one that should have his attention. Come on, I'm the one with the good spiritual resume. I'm the one with the pull that actually got Jesus to show up. Jesus, don't you know what I've done? And not only that, Jesus, don't you know what she's done? This is, this is the next verse that Luke records. It says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. <laughs> I think it's specific that she is a sinner. 
In other words, Jesus, you know what's at the top of her resume? It's not Pharisee. It's not small group leader. It's not got her life together. It's sinner, Jesus. Don't you know what she's done? She hasn't even tried to clean up her life. Like she walked in a mess. We know what she did, not only last month, but like yesterday. She's fresh off sinning. The least she could do is take some time, clean up her life, and then come to you. Jesus, clearly someone doesn't know how to approach you. And I imagine Jesus would have said, you're right, Simon. Someone doesn't know how to approach me. And then, in the middle of this awkwardness, and again, you gotta remember, it's like she's weeping, the house smells awful, and right in the middle of this moment, he looks at Simon, and he does the most Jesus-y thing ever. He starts telling a story. <laughs> right in the middle of it. Says, Simon, let me tell you a story. And story, story goes something like this. Um, Simon, imagine someone owed you $100,000, and someone else owed you $10,000, but neither of them could repay the debt, so you decided to forgive both of them. Simon, which one do you think would love you more? Simon said, Jesus, you picked the weirdest times to tell stories, you know? I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. He, he said, um... I guess the one, the one that owed him more. He goes, exactly. Because some people focus on how much less they owe, but some people focus on how much they've been forgiven. Come on now. Some people focus on how much less they owe and others focus on how much they've been forgiven, but both couldn't repay the debt. Both couldn't repay the debt. And so Jesus looks at this moment and says, Simon, come on, Simon. Like, don't you remember? Don't you remember what I've done for you? See, <laughs> Jesus is like, don't you remember when you first became a Pharisee? Don't you remember when you, when you first recognized that God loved you, like that God knew you, knows you by name, cares about you? Don't you remember the first time that you believed that the God of the universe would actually forgive you? Simon, when did your faith become a list? When did it become this list of rules and do's and don'ts? Simon, you've been so, so focused on you that you forgot about me. And then Jesus, in this moment, begins to address approach. Here's what he says. He turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. And by the way, whenever you would show up to someone's house, there was always a custom of what you would do to care for that honored guest. And the key word here is honored guest. And when someone came into your house, what you would do is you would wash their feet because they've been walking around outside in the mud and the dirt and they're wearing sandals. And so what you do for an honored guest is you would wash their feet. And Jesus said, I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. 
But she wet my feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. Not only that, Simon, you did not give me a kiss, which was another greeting. It's the way that we give like a you know, handshake or a high five or a hug. Well, back in the day, what you do is you'd kiss them on the cheek. And he said, when I walked in, you didn't even give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, which was another custom of saying, man, may God bless you. May you have a good life. He goes, you didn't even honor me that way, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Simon, you've been so busy thinking about you that you forgot about me. You've been so busy building your resume that you neglected the relationship. And Simon, that's why you keep asking, don't you know what she's done? And I keep saying, don't you see what she's doing? See, you're, you can't stop thinking about what you've done. And she can't stop thinking about me. Because she saw Jesus clearly. <laughs> she was under no illusion where her forgiveness came from. She knew, listen, I'm not forgiven because I've cleaned up my life. I'm not forgiven because there's been months or years of distance between my last big sin and today. That's not why I'm forgiven. I'm only forgiven because of him, because of Jesus. Listen, I don't have peace because my life is put together and I've got three kids and the minivan and the house and everything is good. No, I've got peace because of Jesus. Listen, I'm not accepted because my life looks good and I've cleaned up all the bad stuff and I try to do the good stuff. I'm accepted because of Jesus. Listen, he is good, not me. He's good. And that's who she saw in Jesus. And so then Jesus wraps up the conversation by saying this, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, past tense, as her great love has shown, present tense, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And listen, don't miss this. Don't miss this. The, the, she, she is not doing these things to earn God's forgiveness. She's doing these things because she's already been forgiven. She's not trying to build a resume to earn her way to God. She's just floored to be in the room because she's already loved by God. And so when she walks in, she doesn't give him her resume. She gives him herself and says, here I am. And this is the approach that God's looking for. See, my father-in-law did not say yes because I had a job lined up. I didn't. Not because I was old and mature. I wasn't. Not because I had any prospects or a good resume. He didn't say yes for any of those reasons. Why did he say yes? It's because I loved his daughter and I would do anything for her. And that's all he was looking for. See, God doesn't want your resume. He wants you. He's not looking at your past, wanting to know what you've done, wanting to know how you've earned your way into his presence. He just wants you, the good, the bad, the ugly, the stuff that's on your resume, the stuff that's not on your resume, the things that you've done that you're proud of, the things that you've done that you're ashamed of. That's what he wants. He just wants you. In other words, to answer the question, how can I approach God? The answer is surrender. Surrender. All of me. All of me given to you. 
Nothing is off limits. Gotta give all of me. That's what God's looking for. Now, I know that this word surrender, some of you might have grown up in church or maybe you have some military background. This word, um, it's, it's got kind of a churchy feel to it and it's also got a military feel to it. So I wanna try and maybe redefine surrender just for us today. See, I think surrender is you have access to anything you want. That's what surrender is. God, you have access to anything you want. Nothing is off limits. By the way, this is, this is the way it's supposed to work in marriage, Right? Like your spouse should have access to anything they want. Catherine should have access to anything she wants. My time, my money, my reputation, whatever. She has access, right? Because when we got married, what happened? It's no longer my time, it's our time. It's no longer my money, it's our money. It's no longer my reputation, it's our reputation. So she has access to it. And listen, she's not asking me for 24 hours of my day. She doesn't want me to just sit there and stare at her for 24 hours. That's not what she's looking for. She's not asking for every hour. She just wants to know if she has access to any hour. Like right now, she could stand up and say, um... I, I'll explain later, but we have to go right now. I need to go, and I need you to come with me. And if she said that, you know what I'd do? I'd walk off the stage so fast because she has access to any hour. It doesn't matter how important it is. By the way, if you're going to do that, give me like five more minutes, okay? I'm like almost done. We're going we're gonna to wrap it up. <laughs> she has access. It's a surrender is, God, you have access to anything you want. My time, my money, my reputation is yours. So let's talk about my time. Um, <laughs> you know, in the story, as you're reading between the lines, what you've got to see is that she's the uninvited guest, which means her plans were interrupted. She had other things to do that day. But you know what she did? She canceled the plan. She heard Jesus was near. And so she showed up to the Pharisee's house and said, whatever it takes, I just want to be close to Jesus. It doesn't matter what I've got on my agenda. It doesn't matter what I have on my calendar. I just want to be with him. Jesus had full access to her time. So what about for you? <laughs> See, because I'll be honest, I've been following Jesus for a long time. And so there's some time things that God has access to. In fact, it's on the resume. Like every Sunday, I'm at church, right? Well, that's on the resume. Goes to church every Sunday. Not only that, some of you know this. Every morning, I'm spending time with God. That's not a bad thing, by the way. It just happens to show up on the resume. That most mornings, the first thing I do is I'm spending time with God, and it's on the resume. But what about the hours not on the resume? What about those in-between moments? See, every night we have, we, we have three kids, and so every night we have a, a bedtime routine that we do. Some of you with young kids, you might have the same sort of routine. And it's, and it's four things, and it's the same four things every night. And you'd think that they would have learned it by now, but they haven't. Um, and it's brush teeth, wash hands, pull up some pajamas. That's it. And we say, that's like the mantra. Starting at 7 p.m., we're just brush teeth, wash hands, pull up some, brush teeth, wash hands, pull up some pajamas. Brush teeth. I mean, it's like, and, and in my mind, that should take like three minutes. In reality, it takes 50 minutes every night. I don't 
don't understand the way time works. I'm like, how are these simple things taking so long? Brush teeth, wash hands, pull up some pajamas. And then once we're done with that, um, we, we, we walk downstairs and we've got about an hour and a half or two hours of me time. And if you've got young kids, you know what I'm talking about. These hours are precious between when they go to bed and when you go to bed. And listen, you're like done parenting for the day. You're done like carting the kids around for the day. You're done with work for the day. And you've got this hour and a half or two hours and it's me time and it's wonderful and it's beautiful. And that's when I'm, you know, we like turn on the TV or pull out the phone. It really doesn't matter what we do because guess what? It's me time and it is the best time of the entire day. Some of you are judging me. Okay, that's fine. Whatever. It's me time. It's wonderful. I remember a few months ago, I was walking downstairs after putting the kids to bed, brush teeth, wash hands, pull up some pajamas, and we walked downstairs. And it's so hard to describe, but it felt like God was kind of leaning in and kind of this like God prompt where he said, hey, I want to spend time with you right now. I was like, like right now? He's like, yeah, right now. Could you go down in the basement, which is where you normally spend time with God? And because I just want to talk to you for a little bit. You know what I did? But God, <laughs> come on. Hey, I, listen, I go to church every Sunday. Um, I work at a church. Hello, that's like my full-time job. You've got the time there. Besides, we're going to meet up in like eight hours. You know what I mean? It's like, we're going to do, come on, don't you see it on the resume? And God was like, I know, I know. But I want to spend time with you right now. Yeah, but I want to watch Netflix. You know what I mean? It's like, come on. So you know what I did? Watch Netflix, and then I went to bed. Because that's my time. So then I woke up the next morning, checked the box, spending time with God in the morning, and it's like God was like, hey, what was that about? It was what about? Yesterday. I wanted to spend some time with you. Why didn't you spend time with me? Listen, I know I've got access to the hours on your resume, but what about the hours not on your resume? Do I have access to that too? If I want to meet with you at any time of the day, do I have access to those hours? Because your resume looks really good. But I want you. And that's the tricky thing about being a day maker. It often doesn't show up on your calendar. It's in the in-between moments, right? <laughs> It's the moments when you're, when you're driving to work or maybe you're driving the kids to practice or you're just driving somewhere and then you see someone pulled over on the side of the road and God goes, hey, real quick, can you go help them? But God, I got places to be. But God, don't you know how much time I spend with you? But God, come on, I'm gonna be at church on Sunday. I know, I know, I know, I know. But do I have access to this hour right now? Would you go help them? Or what about on Saturdays? You got, a, you got a full slate of college football planned out, and it's going to be a glorious day, and you're so excited about watching football. And then God says, hey, real quick, can you go outside and play with the kids? Do I have access to that hour? Now, listen, God's not going to interrupt a UGA game, okay? We've already talked about it. It's pretty clear. <laughs> but if he does, does he have access? Does he have access to your mornings? If he said, hey, I want to spend time with you real quick in the morning. Hey, I want to spend time with you at night. Hey, during your lunch break, can we spend time together? Does God have access to any hour? 
Listen, I don't think God's gonna ask you every hour, 24 hours a day for a 24 hour long quiet time. I don't think he's gonna ask that. But the question is, does he have access to any hour? Is this my, my time? And does he have access to it? And the next one is my money. Now, admittedly, I didn't want to talk about this one because <laughs> I know your favorite thing is when a pastor gets up here and talks about your money. So I get it. I know. But as I read this story, it, I, I, I can't look past how available she was, how much access she gave to her money. Because see, 2,000 years ago, if you wanted to save money, you didn't put it in a bank. They didn't have banks. And you didn't try to just put the money under your mattress. That wasn't a good idea. So instead, what you do is you would invest in things that hold value over time, like an alabaster jar of perfume. So what you do is you'd get some money and then you'd buy a small jar and then maybe you trade in that jar later with some more money for a bigger jar and this alabaster jar of perfume would have represented her savings, it would have represented her future, would have represented her money. And then here's the crazy part of the story. Jesus didn't even ask her for it. She just gave it to him freely saying, Jesus, everything I've got is yours. So all my future, all my savings, everything that I've done, I'm going to break this thing wide open so there's no recovery for me. Jesus, you have all of me today. And she gave it to him. And I remember being in college, like a poor college student eating ramen noodles and with so much student loan debt, I couldn't even breathe. And I remember being like, God, you have access to everything. You've got all of me. And he's like, thanks for the $74 in your bank account, bud. But really, I'm looking for more, right? See, I was so willing to give God everything when I was in college. But then we got married. And then we started paying off debt. Well, and then we got the house and the cars and the kids and retirement and savings and future. And now God's like, hey, do I still have access to everything? Or just when you don't have much? See, this is, this is a convicting thought for me, and I can tell by the silence it is for you too, <laughs> to say, God, I'm, I'm willing to give you everything. You have access to anything. And there have been moments where God has leaned in and asked me to be generous, more generous than I want to be, if I can be honest with you. And normally when he asks me to be generous, I go, hey, God, hey, I tithe. God, you know that I do. Come on. I've been a Christian for 25 years. I've been giving 10% to my local church for as long as I've been earning money. God, you know that I do this. You know that I'm in. You know that I trust me, or, 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 trust you with my finances. God, come on. You know this. And it's like God's saying, I love that I have access to 10%. But what about the other 90%? Do I have access to that too? See, because when you see Jesus for who he is, you say, God, it's all yours. You have access to anything you want. And then finally, my reputation. See, when you're a daymaker, this is the one that is most likely to be at risk is your reputation. Like if you're a student and God leans in and says, um, hey, I want you to go find the kid that sits by himself and I want you to sit with him. 
well, what's at risk? Like, what's the, what's the fear in that moment? Are you afraid of being nice to someone? No, probably not. Are you, are you afraid of, you, you know, how to have the conversation? I, I, maybe a little bit, but probably not. But what are you most afraid of? Well, I'm afraid of what they're gonna think about me. If I go leave my table with all of my friends that I sit with every single lunch and then you want me to go over there to no man's land and go talk to him, God, what are they gonna say? What are they gonna think? And God's going, do I have access to your reputation? At work, you've got that coworker. You guys go back and forth all the time and he already blew up on you and everyone saw it and it was embarrassing for you. And then God leans in and goes, hey, I want you to forgive him and I want you to extend the olive branch. And you're like, but what are they gonna think? God says, do I have access to your reputation? On social media, (laughs) I mean, that's where we build our reputation. That's where we build our brand, right? Moms, that's where you look good as a mom who has it all together, who's a great mom and a great wife and a great worker. And then dads, this is where where you look like a great dad and a great husband and like just a sharp leader in the community. And God's going, do I have access to your social media? If I told you not to post that, do I have access? (laughs) If I told you to maybe get off social media, do I have access to that? God's saying, do I have access to anything or do I only have access to the things that you used to surrender to me the things that made its way onto your resume the things that make you look really good and you're checking all the boxes but what about everything else not on the resume do I have access my time my money my reputation See, the invitation today is for you to talk to your dad in heaven and to maybe remember, maybe remember what it was like when you first said yes to Jesus, to remember when you were overwhelmed and enamored with the love of God, that you would go, God, I can't believe that you know me and you love me still. God, after all the things that I've done, you've forgiven me. God, I can't believe it. I give you everything. And maybe today God's saying, when did your faith become a list of things that you used to surrender to me? Because listen, God doesn't want your resume. He wants you. The same thing he wanted when he first met you. The same thing he wanted when you first surrendered. So listen, if you're, um, if you're new to the whole faith thing and you've got a bad looking resume and you're thinking, if only they knew what I'd done, they would know I'm not welcome here, I'm not accepted here, I'm not loved here, I have incredible news for you. God doesn't want your resume, he wants you. And he loves you, as you are right now. And if you're here and you've been following Jesus for a long time, and you've got a great looking resume, I have sobering news for you. God doesn't want your resume wants you, all of you. And so I want to teach you a prayer, a prayer that you can pray right now. In fact, I'd I'd love for all of us across 12 Stone Home, across the campuses, 
to pray this prayer, but not just today. I would encourage you to pray it every day this week, and it sounds something like this. God, what are you asking me to surrender to you today? What if today was the day that we stopped hiding behind our resume and surrendered everything? What if today was the day that we stopped hiding behind yesterday's obedience and said, God, today I give you everything. I've been following you for a long time. So God, would you look at my life, my time, my money, my reputation, whatever you want, you have access to anything. My answer is yes. God, what are you asking me to surrender to you today? And so Cam is gonna lead us in a moment. And this moment is the moment I've been praying for all week that you would talk with your father in heaven and you would ask him this question. And I don't know what he's gonna say. And the answer for you might be different than the answer for me, different than the answer for you, different than the answer for you. But talk to your dad in heaven and say, God, whatever it is, you have access. Because after all that you have done for me, God, I give you all of me to you. So God, what are you asking me to surrender to you today? Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.